invite you to open up your Bibles to the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is the fifth book of the Bible. Deuteronomy chapter 1 is on page 171 in the Pew Bible. We do not have children's church today because we do not have anywhere to put the children today. The room where the children go is empty and all the furniture's moved, but we don't have the permits yet to put the kids in the new trailers, classrooms, so get welcome to the new normal at South Shore Baptist Church. Uh, so we're going to need to be flexible and, and all of that so uh, the kids can stay for the sermon today. Or if they get antsy, you feel free to take them out in the foyer. Uh, whatever you deem best, I'll just keep preaching. Uh, so uh, change is in the air. This is, this is the fall. Uh, after what I would argue is the greatest summer in New England we've ever had, we actually had what I would define as a summer, which is three months of heat. Uh, I don't know. We have different definitions of summer here, but it was a great summer, but uh, the winds of change are here. It's fall. Even on the warm days now, it doesn't feel quite the same kind of warm uh, kids are going back to school. The school buses are clogging up the roads again. We're trying to get places. Kind of a big year of change for us. Our, our youngest kid in our family, uh, our six-year-old guy, is going off to first grade. So now all of our kids are in school all day. And so my wife's uh, sort of trying to figure out what to do with herself. I thought she was going to be weepy, but she seems rather giddy. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> November elections are coming, you know, this looks like there's going to be yet another yo-yoing of the balance of power, and so change is upon us again. And speaking of change, have you seen the parking lot? Uh, it's a disaster. It's exciting. Uh, if you, I don't know if you came in this door. If you go out after church, try to go out through this way, and you can just start to see the, uh, the ripping and the tearing and the destruction that's taking place. So... You know, this, this place is, is going to be under construction. There's going to be a lot of change, and it's going to be really interesting. Uh, I, I think it's going to be like a year-long camping trip for us as a church. Uh, it's going to be really fun and just to see that whole process. And we're here at a new sermon series, too, another change. We just finished the book of Revelation in the New Testament after 10 months, and now we're coming to the book of Deuteronomy in the Old Testament, the fifth book of the Bible, part of what's known as the Pentateuch, the f- first five books of the Bible, the Torah, uh, the, the Law of Moses. And maybe when I said open to Deuteronomy, some of you were thinking, due to what? You know, what? Deuteronomy? What, what is that? Why are we studying that? Uh, that? That seems a little odd. In fact, I've never, not sure if I've even read the book of Deuteronomy in the Old Testament. Maybe you feel like I don't even really know the Old Testament that well. Um, Deuteronomy is, is not only the fifth book of the Bible, it's a foundational book for understanding the Old Testament. It's one of those critical books that shapes a lot of the Old Testament. Deuteronomy is a very often quoted book in the New Testament. Um, But the thing that really excites me about Deuteronomy is that it's a word to God's people in a time of change. It's a word to God's people as they face a major transition from one season and period of existence to a new period of existence. And so... As we enter into a new phase as a church, God wants to speak to us with his unchanging word about our changing situation. And that's what Deuteronomy is about. And so let's just read the first five verses. That's as far as I'm going to get today. Uh, Deuteronomy 1, 1 to 5. These are the words 
Moses spoke to all Israel in the desert east of the Jordan, that is, in the Arabah, opposite Suf, between Paran and Tophel, Laban, Hazaroth, and Dizahab. It takes 11 days to go from Horeb to Kadesh Barnea by the Mount Seir Road. In the 40th year, on the first day of the 11th month, Moses proclaimed to the Israelites all that the Lord had commanded him concerning them. This was after he had defeated Sihon, king of the Amorites, and who reigned in Heshbon, and at Edirai had defeated Og, king of Bashan, who reigned at Ashtaroth. East of the Jordan in the territory of Moab, Moses began to expound this law, saying, and we will spend the next several months reading about what he said, but we'll stop there this morning. So what is Deuteronomy anyway? Let's just start there. What, what is this book? What, what are we looking at? I mean, yeah, it's a book of the Bible, but what... What genre of literature is it? How should, what should we expect from this book? And I think the simplest answer is the book of Deuteronomy is a sermon. It's actually maybe several sermons put together for us. Uh, it's a big old long sermon, but it's a sermon is what it is, basically. If you look at verse 1, these are the words Moses spoke to all Israel. So here's Moses, and he's preaching to the Israelites. And what is he preaching about? What's his sermon text, if you want to think about it that way. And look down at verse 5. East of the Jordan, in the territory of Moab, Moses began to expound this law. So it was the law of God that Moses had received on Mount Sinai. You know the story when Moses got the Ten Commandments, and he came down the mountain with them, and he had all of God's commandments. That law that Moses got is what he's now expounding. He's explaining it and applying it. Uh, Deuteronomy is really just a really long expository sermon, is what it is. You want to think about it that way. It's, it's Moses expositing the law of God that was given to him. Uh, and that's why it's called Deuteronomy. You know, what does Deuteronomy mean? Uh, you know, break the word down. You, you could probably figure out the first one. Deutero means two. Yeah, two, second. And uh, I don't know if anyone here wants to make a guess here. Namas means law. It's the law. So it's the second law. Now, that doesn't mean that this is a different law than the one that he got on Mount Sinai when he got the Ten Commandments. It's, it's really what is the second law giving. It's another explanation of the same law that he had received. So that's what Deuteronomy is. It's, it's a very long, multi-chapter, expository sermon based upon the law that Moses had received the first time, and now he's giving it to him the second time. Which raises the question, why do they need to hear it a second time? What is it that's different now? What, what is it that's changed? And what we see is, is that tons have changed, and that's why they're hearing the law a second time. There's a huge transition about to take place with God's people, and the way God is preparing them for it is by reminding them again of what His Word says. Now, notice the transition here in, in verses 1 to 5. Notice this great change that's about to happen to Israel. Look at, look at where they are geographically. Okay, look at verse 1. Here's the geography. These are the words Moses spoke to all Israel in the desert east of the Jordan. All right, that's the key. Opposite Suf between Paran and Tophel, Laban, Hazaroth, and Dizahab. I'm sure you're familiar with all of those places. Perhaps you vacationed there. I, I'm sure you know where those are on a map. Um, actually, uh, we don't know where most of those are in a map. There's a few of those sites that archaeologists are fairly certain they know where they are, but a lot of those are just ancient locations that have been lost to the sands of time. 
And uh, you know, some of these, this is the only place in the Bible these place names occur. Obviously, Moses knew where they were, uh, just like you would know where Queen Anne's Corner is. Uh, but maybe, you know, 3,000 years from now, it might say Queen Anne's Corner and Hingham, and archaeologists will say, well, we know where Hingham is, but we don't know what Queen Anne's Corner was. So, so it's one of those situations where we're looking back. But we have found some of these places. Some of these places uh, have been located by archaeologists and excavated. But the important thing here, and this is the key of where they are, this is the sort of the theological emphasis. Look at that phrase, in the desert east of the Jordan. That occurs again in verse 5. East of the Jordan in the territory of Moab. Now, why is that important? It means they were poised to enter the promised land of Canaan. That's what's important. Look at your sermon notes. You find this, these notes in your uh, bulletin. I put some sermon notes in there for you. If you look on the inside, there's a map. Okay, can you kind of get oriented here? See Egypt. Maybe start with Egypt because we all, maybe, hopefully you know where Egypt is. There's Egypt. There's the Mediterranean Sea north of it. To the east of Egypt is Sinai, the Sinai Peninsula. And then if you look to the east of that and then sort of north, you'll see the, the Dead Sea, the Salt Sea. And you see where it says Canaan. That's the land, the promised land that God had promised to Abraham. And there you see the Jordan River. You see that in, in the Sea of Galilee. Um, and there, if, if you look across the Jordan on the right side, you'll see Heshbon. That's one of the places that was spoken of here in, in our text. And that Heshbon is where the Israelites are hearing this sermon. It, it's right around there-ish. You know, it's kind of in that area. We don't know exactly where they were. But they were somewhere on those plains of Moab. And so they're on the east side of the Jordan. And again, why that's important is they're preparing to go west into the promised land. So they've been living a nomadic existence in the wilderness, uh, and now it's time for them to cross the Jordan and to enter the land God has given them and take it over. This is, they are sort of poised like a spring on a change in their existence as a nation that is going to be totally different. It's going to change everything. You not only see it in the geography, you also see it in the chronology. Look at the time stamp on this text. Look at verse 3. In the 40th year, on the first day of the 11th month, Moses proclaimed to the Israelites all the Lord had commanded him concerning them. So it's the 40th year. 40th year since what? Well, since the last time they were supposed to enter the promised land and totally chickened out. So this is not the first time Israel has been poised on the edge of the promised land, ready to go in. This is actually the second time it's happened. Uh, maybe a, a good way to explain this is again with the map. You know, start in Egypt. The Israelites were slaves in Egypt. You know the story. They were down in Egypt and they, God heard their groaning and He sent Moses and Moses came to Pharaoh and said, let my people go. Pharaoh said no. And so God sent all the plagues on Egypt and finally, you know, Pharaoh said, fine, get out of here. And then he changed his mind. He chased them and then he died in the Red Sea. So the Israelites left Egypt and they traveled south. And if you kind of look on the map here, you see little arrows down to... That's where tradition and most scholars tend to think Mount Sinai was based upon the geographical features that we find in the Old Testament. Um, and and there's, that's where tradition is. I mean, we, we don't know exactly where Mount Sinai was. It's not like there's a little plaque that Moses left on it, you know, that said, Hi, I'm Moses, I was here, and I got the Ten Commandments here. So we're not sure exactly where it is. 
but there's a traditional mountain there with a huge plain in front of it that could have held the Israelites, you know. But anyway, they got the Ten Commandments. And then, if you know the story, they traveled north along the King's Highway up to, you see where the arrows stop here, uh, just south of Israel is the a ta- a place, and it was an oasis called Kadesh Barnea. And they stopped and camped there. And what happened at Kadesh Barnea was a pivotal watershed moment for Israel. Because they're finally at the edge of the Promised Land. And if you know the story, Moses said, okay, I'm going to spy out the land. We're going to need 12 spies, one from each of the tribes of Israel. And you guys are going to go on the Promised Land. You're going to check it out. You're going to come back and tell us what's in there. So the spies went off for 40 days, and then the spies came back. And these 12 spies came back, and they said, well, okay, here's the good news. It's great. The, the Promised Land is everything God promised. It's a land flowing of milk and honey. Here's the bad news. It's heavily defended and fortified by strong people. And so we don't know how we're going to take it. And then this is where the, the, the spies sort of had two different reports. There was the majority opinion that said to Moses and the people, uh, we should not go into the promised land because we're going to get killed. All, we're all going to die. Those people are too big and scary. We were, felt very small compared to them. They have very strong uh, armaments. We're not going to be able to take the promised land. Uh, and so we need to go back. And why did we come here anyway? And then there were two of the spies, the minority report, and they said, don't listen to them. Look, if God told us to take the promised land, we can do anything that God says. What are we scared of? I mean, God's been... God took us out of Egypt. He can take us into the promised land. Unfortunately, the Israelite nation listened to the the first group. And all of Israel rebelled against God right there on the edge of the promised land after all they'd been through. They all said, that's it. We're done with Moses. We're not going to the promised land. We're going back to Egypt. It was better than this. So they thought, you know, the grass is always greener. We're going back to Egypt and let's kill Moses. And it was at that moment that God intervened. And God said, okay, this is enough. I'm going to kill all of you people and start over. And Moses pled with God and he said, God, please don't kill them. People are going to think you're unable to save your people. For the sake of your name, don't kill the, the Israelites. And so God said, fine, here's what I'm going to do. And, and he, he spoke harshly with them. In fact, if you uh, put a bookmark here in Deuteronomy, I want to show you that what God says. Look at Numbers chapter 14. Numbers is the book right before Deuteronomy. So go back one book to the book of Numbers. And here's the story of that fateful moment. Numbers chapter 14, verse 26, where God finally gets fed up. You know, even God gets fed up. God's very patient. He's more patient than any of us. But even God has a point where he says, that's it. It's done. And this was one of these scary points where God finally gets fed up. And he says, that's enough. I'm not going to tolerate any more of this. So if you look at Numbers 14, verse 26, the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, how long will this wicked community grumble against me? I have heard the complaints of these grumbling Israelites. So tell them, as surely as I live, declares the Lord, I will do to you the very things I heard you say. So that they were afraid they were going to die and their children would be taken. So God says, actually, it's going to happen, but not in the promised land. Uh, verse 30, not one of you will enter the land, I swore, uh, with uplifted hand to make your home, except Caleb, son of Jephunan, and Joshua, son of Nun, both of whom were the two spies who had the minority report. Verse 13, as for your children that you said would be taken as plunder, I will bring them in to enjoy the land you have rejected. And you, your bodies will fall in this desert, your children will be shepherds here for 40 years, suffering for your unfaithfulness 
until the last of your bodies lies in the desert. Did you get that? Verse 33. Your children will be shepherds here for how long? Forty years. Verse 34. For forty years. One for each of the forty days you explored the land, you will suffer for your sins and know what it's like to have me against you. So it's been 40 years. Now go back to Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 3. In the 40th year. So that whole generation that rebelled against God, that whole generation that just took a huge stand of unbelief against God, God sent them back into the wilderness and they just wandered around. They left the promised land and they went into this kind of area in the middle and they just wandered around here for 40 years. Until funeral by funeral by funeral, God had buried the people who rejected Him. And finally He said, that's it. And then when that final funeral took place, when that final rebel died, finally God said, now it's time to go back 40 years later. And now the children of the rebellious generation are brought back to the promised land. Deja vu all over again, as they say. And it's now their time to trust God and not be afraid. You know, think about, these, think about these kids. Some of them may have come out of Egypt, but some of them were probably born in the desert. Some of them only knew a sort of Bedouin nomadic existence. And now they're about to go in. They're not trained in war. They're not, you know, uh, the Spartans or anything like that. They're not a warrior nation. They're just a bunch of people wandering around the desert with sheep. And now God brings them back to the promised land. He's like, okay, take two. You're going in. Are you guys ready to go in? Are you going to trust me? And so now they're on the verge of a radical transition in their experience as a nation to this life in the land of promise that God had told that he would give to Abraham and all the Israelites. And so it's a time of great change. And that's one of the reasons why I was drawn to preach the book of Deuteronomy. Because our church is really on the verge of a great change you know with this building project it it's going to affect our congregation it's it's not going to be the same um what's it going to be like and part of my answer is i really don't know i mean we make plans we have dreams but you don't really know what it's going to be like what god is doing Uh, and it's not just the building project it's it's you know hopes that we could start planting new churches new congregations i'd love to see our church become a resource to other congregations and and training up people to start small groups and start ministries. You know, just a church that if, if we're blessed with resources, if we're blessed with the new building, then let's use that and give it away for the kingdom of God on the South Shore. So, so there's this kind of promised land, this, this vision of something new that I feel like God is leading our church to. And, you know, God, God is sovereign. Ultimately, we can't tell God what his plans are. But there's this kind of direction that he's been leading our church and we've been in a bit of a wilderness. You know, it took us 10 years to get the building permit to finally do this thing. Um, I, I, I'm not, I don't want to overpress the analogy here. I'm not saying that we didn't get our building permit for 10 years because God wanted to kill some people first. I'm not saying that. It's not like we had to have a certain number of funerals before we could go on. Uh, but, but I do think, you know, God brings his people through periods of testing, through wilderness, through trials. Uh, that's a common experience of God's people to sometimes be in... Plentiful times and sometimes go through trials as he refines us and tests us. So uh, we've come out of that and we're on the verge of something new. And, you know, that really shouldn't be surprising because when you follow God, when you follow Jesus Christ, he's always doing new things. So if you're going to walk with God, get ready for new. 
Um, God himself doesn't change. God's nature doesn't change, which is what makes him so wonderful. But he is also the living God. He's alive. And so when you start walking with the living God, you're not going to stay in one place uh, in, in some sense. There's going to be change. He's going to be changing us as people. Even if we stay in the same place geographically, God calls us to changes in our lives. That's what it's like to walk with God. And, and if I claim to be a follower of Jesus, but my spiritual life has kind of been stuck for 10 years in the same place, I really need to wonder whether or not I'm truly walking with Christ. Uh, you know, God is the guy, is the God, the guy, the God who said to Abraham, Abraham, get up, leave your, your homeland, and I want to go to you to go to the land I'll show you. God is the one who said to Moses, Moses, you know, Moses shepherd in wilderness for years. He's 80 years old, 80 year old shepherd walking around with the sheep. And God speaks to him out of the burning bush. He says, okay, Moses, now you're ready for your job. You know, it's now time to start your project at age 80. I want you to shepherd my people Israel and bring them out of Egypt. And, you know, of course, Moses kind of threw a fit and God almost had to drag him kicking and screaming into the job. But God brings us into new things. Uh, Jesus walked along the Sea of Galilee and he sees Peter and, and uh, his associates with their fishing nets and their boats and he says, follow me. And so they dropped everything and they went with Jesus. Uh, Jesus appeared to Saul on the road to Damascus and he said, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul said, who are you? He said, I'm Jesus, who you're persecuting. And then Jesus, I love it, he said to Saul, get up, go into the city. And then I love this line, I will show you what you must do. So there's this sense of, I've got plans for you now, Saul. And by the way, your name's going to become Paul. So he changed his name, to the, and he became the Apostle Paul. And God had plans for him. You know, one day he is the greatest enemy of the church, and in one encounter with Jesus, he's now a founder of the church, one of the apostles. And that's what God does. He, when you start following Christ, there are new directions. There, there are new um, vistas. Just when you thought you had it all nailed down and sorted out, God says, now we're going to do this. And he leads us in different ways. It's, it's so exciting to walk with God. It's a constant adventure. And, and so God is calling us as, as a congregation. I was even thinking about, I don't want to go down too far down this rabbit trail, but I was even thinking about heaven and eternal life. You know, like when we finally get to eternal life with Christ when he returns, won't that be kind of fixed at that point? I mean, won't the new be over? And No. You know, behold, Jesus says, I make all things new. So even eternal life is an experience of, of deepening uh, knowledge of God. You know, think about it this way. If God is infinite, if his character and his attributes and his goodness is infinite, if there's no end to who he is and, and all there is to be known about him, then that means for all eternity we spend with God we will never get to the bottom of his glory. We will never get to the bottom of what makes him so wonderful. And so all eternity will be a constant experience of new. As we, as we learn more and more about how wonderful God's riches are and who he is. And so even eternal life is infinite newness of experience as we, as we sort of, as C.S. Lewis says, go further up and further in with God over and over. And so God is the God who calls us to sing a new song because he's the living God. There's no static existence with him. He calls us to himself. Uh, and, and he calls us as Christians. You know, what is the new thing God is doing in your life? I mean, he's doing new things with our whole church, but what about you personally? Is God calling you to something new? 
Maybe your life is just changing and it's, you almost don't even feel in control of it. That sometimes happens when you start walking with God. Is it's not so much like, well, I'm following God now, so I'm going to straighten some things out. It's more like God just grabs you and, and you're on a ride and you're not really sure where you're going and you're kind of scared, but at the same time, just think this is the right way to go. That's how it feels sometimes when God grabs your life and things just start changing. Um, maybe the change he's calling you to as a Christian is to a new ministry. Maybe there's some people that he wants you to reach out to or minister to. Maybe you've been sitting on the sidelines too long and God has a new calling like to Moses. Time to go, Moses. Got a big job for you. Maybe that new thing that God is calling us to as Christians is um, some transformation in our lives. Maybe there's sin in our lives or patterns that need to change. And we've almost written it off like, well, you know, that's just who I am. I'll always kind of be like that. And God is saying, no, time to deal with that. I'm going to change you. And, and God starts working on our character in new ways, in deeper ways. Uh, for some of us, that, that journey is through difficult times. You know, sometimes the shepherd leads us through the valley of the shadow of death so that we can get to some greener pastures on the other side that you can only get to through the valley of the shadow of death. And so it's an experience of transformation, but, but maybe it's kind of a hard experience. But whatever it is, God is always leading us to, to new experiences of him if we will walk with him. I was even thinking, just one more example here, and then we'll move on, but I was even thinking becoming a Christian for the first time is very much like kind of like crossing the Jordan River from the wilderness into the promised land. You know, being a Christian is, becoming a Christian is very much a transitional kind of experience. That There's not following Christ and there's following Christ. There's not saved from sin and there's forgiven. There's not really an in-between and so there's, there's outside the promised land and inside the promised land, and there's a river that you know, runs through it. There's a, a river down the middle of the two, and we have to cross that river. And so even when you become a Christian for the first time, it's like the gospel. You hear the gospel of Jesus, and the gospel brings you to the river. And, and you know the gospel. You've heard the gospel before. But for the sake of clarity, let me just restate the gospel. The gospel message is that God has created us, and we've, re- we've responded by totally rejecting him. We've lived our lives our way. We have rejected his authority in our lives. We're sinners. As a result, we deserve judgment. We deserve to die in the desert with the Israelites. But in his amazing mercy and kindness and generosity, rather than just killing us off, God has sent Jesus. And Jesus came. He lived our life. He died on a cross. And on the cross, Jesus was taking the punishment for sin that I deserve. And then Jesus was buried. He rose again. And he's coming back someday. And now we as, as sinful human beings can be forgiven of our sins and restored to a relationship with God. How? By joining a church? By doing sacraments? By doing good deeds? No. By putting our faith in Jesus and, and repenting of our sin and saying, I'm, I'm going to follow Christ. And that's a journey across the river. Our response is to repent and believe. Um, you know, at, at the risk of being sacrilegious in church, it, it's kind of like poker. Uh, if you've ever played poker, I grew up in Las Vegas, so you know, I sort of grew up walking by poker tables on the way to the buffet. That just seemed normal to me. Um, but, but, you know, in poker, you can do a risky move in poker where, where you go all in. Have you heard of this phrase? I'm going all in. And that's where you're like, I think I got a good hand. And so you take all your chips and you say, I'm going to bet it all on this hand. 
Right? It's, I'm going all in. I'm not going to hold back one little stack. I'm in. And that's what we have to do to follow Christ. We have to say, my faith is all in on the cross of Christ. I'm not going to hold back a little stack here based on my good deeds and bet on that. I'm not going to hold back a little stack here based on my religiosity. It's not like, well, 90% Jesus, but I'm a good person too, and I'm not really that bad. We have to come to a place of saying, I am a sinner in need of a Savior, and I am going all in with Christ and putting my faith completely in Him. And that's how we become a Christian, and it's very much like that, crossing the river. Is it scary becoming a Christian? Yeah, because you're like, what's going to happen? Am I going to become a religious fanatic? Are people going to desert me? Some might. I don't know. You might make some new friends too. Who knows? But really, you know, <laughs> what are the alternatives? Die in the wilderness or live with God forever? And so, so that's the calling of even the Christian life. Even becoming a Christian is very much a new thing and a new step that God calls us to into uncertainty, but we trust Him. And it's in this transition, in this great shift from one existence to another, in this great moment where God's people are going from the wilderness into Cana, where our church is going forward, where we as Christians and all of us are taking steps of faith, it's in this that God speaks to His people through Deuteronomy. I love the book of Deuteronomy. Here they are on the edge of the promised land, and God doesn't say, okay, time to go in, fix bayonets, get ready, we're going in. He says, stop! Sermon time. Okay? Everybody, before you go into the promised land, you're going to hear a, a really long sermon from Moses. And he's going to tell you what God has to say. Because what we need in times of change is to reground ourselves on the one thing that doesn't change, which is God and His Word. We need the unchanging Word of God. And so God stops Israel before they make this transition. And he says, I'm going to speak. Deuteronomy to you. Notice the emphasis here on the sermon. Again, uh, notice three times in this passage, going back to Deuteronomy 1, three times where the sermon is emphasized, the, the teaching of Moses. Chapter 1, verse 1, uh, these are the words Moses spoke to all Israel. Verse 3, Moses proclaimed to the Israelites all the Lord had commanded him. Verse 5, Moses began to expound this law, saying... So you have three times in the opening five verses of this book the emphasis upon Moses preaching. This is repetition. One of the basic principles of Bible interpretation is repetition signifies or, or, or uh, signals emphasis. If something is repeated over and over, it's probably because it's something we really need to pay attention to. So here it is. Moses is speaking. He's preaching. He's delivering God's unchanging word in a, in a changing situation. And what is it that, that uh, God has to say to the Israelites in Deuteronomy? What's this book about? Answer to that question, well, I mean, we're going to find out over the next many months. Uh, I don't know how long it's going to take to get through this book, but we're going to find out what he had to say. But some of the major themes of Deuteronomy, some of the major messages of Deuteronomy, one, love God with your whole heart. Love God above all else. Deuteronomy is a call to obedience to God's Word out of love for God. Trust God. Another theme of Deuteronomy is reject the idolatry of the nations around you. Israel's about to go into the, a very pagan, idolatrous country, the land of Canaan, and he's saying don't practice what they do. Deuteronomy is about being a community of faith. It's about the people of Israel loving each other, caring for each other, 
and being the body and the family of God together as a nation. Deuteronomy is about holiness. It's about God's people marking themselves off from the world and saying, we're the holy people of God. We're going to live a different way. Not that they're holy rollers and self-righteous, but we're going to live a godly life. We're not going to live like the world. And so there's, there's going to be a clear distinction between how God's people live holy and, and how the, the pagan nations live. And so Deuteronomy is a book about God's people being God's people as they should be and loving God, loving each other, and being a light to the world through their holiness. That's the message of the book. Um, and that's the second reason why we're going to study Deuteronomy. The first is because I think that idea of transition is so strong in our, in our lives. But also this theme of, of us being the people of God. You know, uh, several months back I was at an elder meeting and I was talking to the elders and I said, what, what should I preach after Revelation? Do you guys have ideas? And we started praying about it. We started talking about it. And different elders, you know, what about this book? What about that book? We're kind of doing a brainstorming session. And then one of the elders said, you know, I'd like to study Acts next, Acts in the New Testament, the book of Acts. And I said, oh, yeah, why is that? And, and I love what he said. He said, you know, we're, we're about to build a new church building. We're getting ready for construction. And I think it's really important that as we build this building and get excited about this new phase of our life, that we kind of go back to the book of Acts and remember what the church is all about. And let's sort of refocus on being the church so we don't forget what it means to be God's church and as we build a church. Because, uh, you know, the book of Acts is about the New Testament church. And, man, when he said that, that just totally resonated with me. I was like, yeah, that's what we need to do. The problem with Acts for me, though, was uh, I was already preaching in the New Testament book, Revelation. I had just finished preaching a New Testament book, Hebrews. And so I kind of didn't want to do a third New Testament book. I really like to alternate Old Testament and New Testament so that you get the, the whole counsel of God and, and hear both Testaments. So, so I started thinking, what's an, what's an Old Testament book that really teaches about what God's people should be like? And I thought, Deuteronomy is what that book is about. Deuteronomy is a book on what it means to be the, the church, the people of God. Now, um, are there some challenges in interpreting Deuteronomy? Yes, because clearly Deuteronomy was written for the old covenant people of Israel and we are the new covenant people the new Israel the church and so it, this word of Deuteronomy doesn't apply directly to us and it's a different covenant it's a different time and yet there's a consistency and continuity between all of God's people there's a continuity in God's character he's the same God in both covenants it's not like there's an Old Testament God and a New Testament God he's the same God his law his moral law is the same so in, while there are some differences between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant in Christ, there's also connectiveness. So I think that it's going to be you know, interesting to try to sort through that as we go through the book. But this is really a book for God's people about what it means to be the people of God. And so that's why we're going to be studying this passage. Um, you know, I said this before uh, a couple of weeks ago, but I think it bears repeating um, when a construction project is going on, it's, it's just really easy to get caught up in the building of the project because buildings are just fun. You know, I was at my desk, you know, this last several weeks as they've been pushing sand around and doing all these things. You know, I'm sitting there at my desk and there's a huge bulldozer just coming right at my window. And, you know, I'm like, oh. I my productivity has been down since the building started. I, I, you know, it's like big Tonka trucks. I love it. And. 
you know, when those steel girders start going up out there, it's going to be so cool. I, I can't wait. And, and it's easy, you know, when a construction project goes on because it's something tangible that, you know, we all want to get involved. It's like, what can I do? I want to pound a nail. Can I do a rivet? Can I drive that big truck? You know, I, I want to do something to help. And, and maybe God will call some of us to do some tangible things, but, but I really believe that, you know, that's, okay, building the building's one thing, but we need to do something the construction company can't help us with, which is learn how to be the church. You know? You know, it's great to build a building, but we need to be a church. And, and we are a church. I'm not saying we're not, but we need to come back to that and, and say, what, what is it that God is calling us to be and to do? What does it mean to be His people as we go into this era of change and transition. Um, you know, so, some point the doors are going to open in 10, 12 months, however long it is. The project will be done. As the old timer, old New Englanders have taught me to say, this too shall pass. We shall get through the construction. It will happen. And we'll, the doors will open someday and people will come in. That's kind of typically what happens with new buildings. People come in. There's people driving up and down the street, you know, what's going on over there? This week I had two different friends of mine say, what's going on at the church? I, what's happening at that church? You know, people are curious. And at some point the doors are going to go open and new people are going to come in. And the question I'm asking is, when the new people come into the building, what will they find inside? Will they find a holy people of God or will they find a bunch of grumbling <laughs> Israelites, a church full of people that just all want to kill each other because they're so sick of this you know, project and, and we've just gotten so self-focused that we're all at each other's throats. So it's like, yeah, nice building, scary people. Right? And so that was great. Glad I saw it. I'm not going there to that church. Uh, or when they come into the church you know, and, and they tell their friend they went, and they're like, well, what's it like there? You know, well, they say, yeah, the new building that's, is really cool and all, but you know, what really impressed me is this lady came up to me, and I didn't even know her, but she was so warm and, and so loving, and, and I could tell it was genuine. There's just something in about her that was loving and warm. There was a light and a, a love she had. I don't even know what it is. You know, well, people come into the new building and say, I don't know what's going on in there, but, but there's, a, uh, you know, there's a spirit there. There's a family. You know, there's real love. I don't know what's going on in there, but, but those people, they just seem like they have integrity. And it's so refreshing to be around, I don't know, decent people, you know, or, or however they try to put it. You know, people try to put God's kingdom into non-kingdom words, and it always sounds a little bit funny. But, but what are people going to see? Are they going to find a renewed church in the new church? And so this is the building project I'm really interested in that we can do together. And this is the power tool that God is going to use. His Word, which is power and has power to change us. So, your homework for the week. I want everybody here this week to read Deuteronomy chapter 1 through 11. We're going to take this in pieces because it's a big book. But read the first 11 chapters this week. You'll find time. And let's just start by hearing the words of Moses. We need to hear it. Maybe you've never read Deuteronomy. Just read those first 11 chapters or, you know, get as far as you can get. Even if you can't get 11 chapters, start reading this book. If uh, you are looking for a commentary or sort of support book, maybe you have a Bible study group that wants to study Deuteronomy. The book I'm recommending is a, a commentary by Raymond Brown. 
It's actually, um, well, it'll be for sale. If you want to buy it at the book table, you can get it before the service next Sunday, or, or I can just give you the bibliographic information if you want to order it online, whatever you want to do. But, uh, you know, read that, start thinking about it. And you know what? Start praying for this book. Because we're going to see iron going up and steel. steel. We're going to see, you know, the parking lot being redone. We're going to see new trees and plantings. We're going to see, you know, drywall being taped and plastered up. We're going to see all that. But my prayer is that, that there will be an invisible construction project taking place at our church that you can't see from the road driving by. And it's, it's a construction project where love is being erected and holiness is being dug deeper as a foundation for our church. And the love of our love for Christ, our love for His Word, our love for each other, our love for godliness, our love for the world is expanding and doubling in size. That's the construction project that, that we really need to be about. And as we look at Deuteronomy, I'm praying that God will use this book to renovate our church so that when the doors open, 12 months from now or whatever it is, 10 months, and people come in, there will be a light in here, the light of Christ, shining more brightly than it is today. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we just pray that you would build your church through your word. Lord, build up this congregation in love and in holiness and in purity and in love for the world. God, change us, renew us. None of us want to be stuck in the wilderness just camping out till we die. Lord, we want to walk with you. We want to go forward into whatever you have for us, Lord. And so, God, give us faith as a church to take whatever steps it is you're calling us, whether individually or corporately. God, we pray that you would build this congregation, that you would build a holy people here. God, maybe there are some rough edges on us that need to be power sanded off. Maybe, maybe there are some areas of our lives that need to be gutted and thrown into the dumpster and replaced with something new. Whatever it is, God, do the work of construction in our lives and in our congregation. And, Lord Jesus, we look forward to this book and what it will Teach us as a congregation. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.